This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to... Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and today I got a very special guest. Just a little one-on-one conversation today, uh, just us two, so no other members of the crew. But nonetheless, we're going to have a great time and a great conversation, I imagine. Quick news for us: if you've been over to the Harvesting Nature website, you've seen our new uh, "Eat More Wild Game" shirt. So, titled is the Hunting Knife shirt. Got a cool old school. Uh, like buck knife style on the front of it. Go over and check that out if you hadn't. We've actually gone fairly quickly in popular, so uh, there's two different styles. Go give those a look. And uh, as always, we're still doing the hat giveaways for reviews, so you can leave a five-star review over on the podcast platform, and uh, you can get a chance to win a hat right off the store. So check that out. And as far as myself updates for me so kind of in between season now about to focus on some fly fishing coming up in february being down here in the florida keys the weather is almost perfect for it the wind's starting to lay down so try to get out catch some tarpon catch some permit uh, maybe some bonefish and some redfish we'll try to do a, a little uh redfish on the half shell <laughs> that's kind of it for me so uh, i was going to keep the updates sort of short and sweet because i I'm really excited to have this conversation, so I'm going to go ahead and and introduce our guest. He is a hunter, a lover of public lands. He's originally from South Africa, but he currently resides in Mississippi. He's the creator of Blood Origins, and he's here to talk about his story and uh, the many adventures associated with that. 
I introduce you to Robbie Kroger. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Justin. Uh, and right off the bat, I'm going to take us on a tangent because, <laughs> number one, I have this dream to catch a tarpon. I have never caught a tarpon. Oh, man, you got to come down for a visit. Okay, number one. Number two, talk about in terms of a hunter in public land. This will blow your mind. The first turkey I ever killed uh-huh. in my turkey hunting career was a public land Osceola. Ooh, that's good. That's a that's a challenge. Yeah, it's, green uh, um, green banks, green river, green swamp, green swamp unit B. I drew that oh. first time as I put it in for the tag, and I drew it. Wow, that's awesome. I uh, I this year for the first time in three years, I drew a a public land, a Florida public land turkey tag, uh, and I'm up in in uh ocala national forest this year so uh hoping to bag one but that won't be till goodness it's not till like april it's so odd how late the, yeah. the turkey season is no i definitely need to come get a topping i am that is like the thing for me they're uh they're so much fun um i i've hooked them i've yet to land one in my hands uh but uh, Will, who's normally on the podcast with us, I watched him one night. He hooked onto one, and uh, it's just it's just incredible. And it's like the one he got, you know, was probably probably between three and four feet. And we were talking with one of our other buddies who's out there. He works at the the local fly shop, and he's like, "Guess how old that fish is?" I was like, "I don't, I don't know, like a year or two? He's like, "No, that fish you're holding is probably twenty to thirty years old." I yeah. was like, "That's that's insane." So they're they're just such a neat fish. Yeah, well, sorry for taking us off on a tangent, but I just thought that would be some good anecdotes to start with. No, no, it's perfect. Uh, anywhere you want, to, I want to hear more about your turkey hunt too. It was amazing. I, we actually um, there's a river that runs through that uh, green swamp unit B, and uh, we had to get one of those, you know, those floats that uh, people tow behind a boat, and you you bop up and down they're trying to fling you off mm-hmm. the yeah, only yeah. thing we had so we were pumping that up blowing it up at like four o'clock in the morning to paddle and with the paddle that we had was like maybe 18 inches wide <laughs> long sorry and we were paddling across this river obviously full of alligators you know to get to the other side because if you could get to the other side nobody hunted it. yeah because nobody wanted to cross the river yeah nobody could cross the river so yeah, the hunt was amazing. We we killed on the the second morning. We got on the turkey. You have to finish hunting. You have to stop hunting at, at either noon or one o'clock. I can't yep. remember. I think it was one o'clock. Yeah. And uh, we got on that turkey and couldn't seal the deal before it struck one. So then we came back in the next morning. Went to the same place. Found him again, and he just came like through the cypress knees and everything. Just was. Just full show all the way into the decoy, whap down. I was, it was amazing. That's a great experience. I know but there, uh, there's such a, a diversity of birds compared to a lot of the other turkeys around the U.S. Like the appearance of them, but also the behavior. Like they're they're not as vocal as other turkeys, so it's like, and uh, you know, they just they're they may come or they may not. And like you said, whenever they whenever they come into something, they're like they're coming in hot. Yeah, it was cool. It was a cool tip. It was a cool turkey hunt. 
That's awesome. Well, I hope to join you in uh, in notching my belt uh, this spring. So I'm uh I'm actually moving in the summer. So this is like one of my last shots at it at being a resident. So that's that's the plan. There we go. Nice. Well, um, good. Great stories. I'm glad we got off to a good start with that. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And uh, so, growing up in South Africa and and your family's connection to hunting. And yeah, my grandfather and father were just you know steeped in hunting heritage. Um, my grandfather hunted, in, as he said, in two hunting paradises that this world had to offer: the Siberian uh, t- sort of tiger in Russia. He was born in Russia and hunted China, hunted Tibet, hunted Mongolia, and then in the 50s moved to Africa and hunted Africa, the heyday of Africa, like the, you know, the, the Africa that everyone reads about, the 50s and 60s. That's mm-hmm. what my grandfather hunted, and that's what my dad grew up in. He was a teenage boy in the 60s and just lived the, the, the life of a camp boy. Like his job was to go out before everybody woke up in the mornings, uh, and go shoot an impala and get fresh liver out of that impala and cook up liver and onions for breakfast for everyone. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, so that was my father and my grandfather, but I never got to hunt in South Africa. I lived in a town of eight and a half million people. And, you know, by that time, gun controls were getting a little crazy. Um, revolution had hit Mozambique. There was no wildlife to speak of any longer. Um, and, you know, I grew up in a city, so there wasn't much talk about wild uh, hunting and that just wasn't a part of my lifestyle. I always wanted to be a game ranger. That's the thing that boys growing up in South Africa want to become, right? You want to be a policeman, a fireman, whatever, but you also want to be a game ranger, which is that guy who walks the clients or tourists around the bush and shows them elephants and lions and drives them around like a Land Rover jockey. Um but yeah, I never really hunted and until I came to the States. I came to the States in 2003 to do a PhD, mm-hmm. got a PhD in biology. And um, so when I got introduced to hunting, it's Mississippi style redneck hunting and <laughs> absolutely was, loved uh, it. What was your first hunt? Uh, gave me a lawn chair, sat me under a cedar tree with a semi-automatic 308 and said, if something walks by, shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> did you shoot anything i actually didn't shoot anything that morning i walked out and a buck came across the road on my first hunt oh wow and now knowing dear now it was probably a 120 class in the hills of mississippi which is a really good really good yeah, deer. yeah. i was like oh okay lift the gun up put the scope on it pulled the trigger click and Whoa. that was a symptom of the it was actually, no, no, not a symptom. It was a, a signal for what my hunting future was going to look like because the gun didn't go off. The deer heard the click, ran away. I said to my buddy, I said, your gun's broken. There's something wrong with it. He said, what do you mean? And he racked it. it. was As I said, it was a semi-automatic. He racked the same bullet forward, shot the target, and the gun went off. Hmm. And I said, what, what, what happened? He said, what did you do? And I said, well, you told me not to make much noise. So as I racked the bullet, I eased that action forward. And I must have left like, you know, half a millimeter of space. And so, but then, you know, I have since had muzzleloader failures. I have busted so many deer. I have had a public land ardad shot out from underneath me in New Mexico. Um, 
it's all been almost this, the trial and tribulations of what I'm supposed to be as a hunter, which is a really good storyteller when it comes to hunting. So, <laughs> wow. Holy smokes. That's a, wow. That paints a picture for sure. And, uh, lends to uh i don't know it's interesting i don't think in in trying to get somebody in into hunting or taking them out uh learning of like hey here you go here's the gun see you later um oh yeah no it was it was no it was trial by fire it's trial, yeah. and i was 26 at the time so i'm a late adult onset hunter too so it was like mm-hmm. okay i guess this is what we do you know well, though it's, it sounds like many adventures have been had since, uh, maybe not, uh, maybe not as productive, but nonetheless adventurous, I guess. Well, that's the key, right? Is that, yeah. you know, hunting isn't about the kill mm-hmm. and we unfortunately have a hunting industry that has created this thing that is, everything is about the kill mm-hmm. We're in it's probably you know, as as most hunters have felt, and I feel like if someone says, no, they haven't, I feel like, oh, you, you're probably lying. And that there's an inherent sadness when you pull the trigger. And there's an inherent like, oh, it's over. Uh, the yeah. hunt's over. Oh, did, you know, did I really want to do that? Uh, I actually have just done that. And so the adventure of the hunt, the practice up to the hunt, the planning of the hunt, they travel to the destination, the people that you meet, the relationships that you build, the tradition that you're forging with your kids. That's all part of the hunt, right? The, the emotional, the spirituality, the transparency, the accountability, all these things married together in what this experience that we call hunting is. And the kill is really, really involved in, in the conversation. Yep. And, and I think that, given the sort of the dynamics and and the evolution of hunting, you know, in, in the U S especially, it's like a lot of the, the feelings and emotions and stuff that you have and sort of the connections that you build. Nobody, few people talk about it. Like historically, nobody's like, yeah, you know, I, I shot the deer and then there I was like standing over this deer, like, wow, that just, I, I took, I took the life of this animal uh, you know, for whatever reason you have, whether it's food or, you know, adventure or whatever various aspects. But at the end of the day, that's not the story you tell at the campfire of like how you felt in the moment, like how you felt preparing, you know, the, the six weeks that went into training with a backpack and walking upstairs or hills or whatever. So it's uh, those moments are, I think, should be more forward and I, I, I tip my hat to you because it seems like uh, you've been doing a great job of presenting those stories at various points around the world, which is great. Well, the thing is, you know, one of the differences I believe in our project and, and what we're trying to do is we're not, yes, we're influencing, say, you, the hunter. Mm-hmm. But that's not the reason why we're doing it. The reason why we're doing it is to reach the non-hunting majority to say, and this is, this is the crux of the matter here, is that when a non-hunter thinks about a hunter or an anti-hunter thinks about a hunter, they have this preconceived perception of who that person is, okay? Mm-hmm. It's built from Disney. It's built through awful social media content. It's built through 
uh, news articles, press, all of that gets wrapped around that perception of who we're supposed to be. But if those two individuals, a non-hunter and anti-hunter, decided to sit down for an evening and talked to a hunter, that would change their perceptions. I 100% agree if they sat down and just got to know a hunter, it would change their perceptions. But if they're not going to do that, what's the next best thing? So the next best thing to me and to us as, a, as the organization of Blood Origins was how do we show the heart of a hunter through the lens of a camera? And so that's what we film. We film the heart of someone to why they hunt so that a non-hunter looks at that and goes, oh, I had no idea. Oh, now I'm starting to understand a little bit better. Then we've taken it one step further and we've said, okay, well, why don't we do the same thing for non-hunters that know hunters? Mm-hmm. So now we've evolved uh, in terms of our, our rhetoric, which is, okay, you may not believe that hunter speaking through the camera, crying, authentically talking about his or her heart. Okay. Well, how about this guy or this girl who's a non-hunter who has nothing to gain by saying, yes, I believe in hunting, or this is why I'm okay with hunting, or here's my perspective on hunting. Completely unbiased, not self-serving. Now, all of a sudden, another non-hunter sees that non-hunter speaking about hunting and goes, oh, maybe there's something to this. It it, it creates, so I see t- twofold sort of... Uh... One being that you're, you're breaking down the preconception that people, non-hunters and anti-hunters have. Because immediately, like you said, the picture is painted for them. And, and given the way that our culture is, people think they know somebody before they ever meet them based on the T-shirt they're wearing or, you know, w- w- the way they carry themselves or how they talk or I- anything of those natures. And so they build a barrier in their mind and and don't allow that person to be like, look, like here's why I hunt. Here's the story. Here's, here's my story. Here's me as a person and how hunting is a part of it. But it also helps me help has helped shape me as an individual. And then sort of, uh, validating that by saying, here's the perspective of somebody who doesn't hunt at all, who knows this individual or knows about this individual's journey. And like, here's the picture they paint. Like they're, they're not coming from the same side if there were sides, mm-hmm. uh, but they're presenting the supportive idea. So I think it's brilliant. It's great. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate the kind of words. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I guess, can you go in, since we, we've moved in that direction, uh, can you go into a little bit of about uh, the formation of Blood Origins and sort of where you got the concept and, and how it's evolved over time? Yeah, sure. You know, Blood Origins wasn't, wasn't if you'd asked me four years ago when we started Blood Origins, would we be right here where we are today? I would have said no, because Blood Origins started really as just a, a way for me to speak with individuals so that I could understand why they hunt Mm -hmm. so that I could understand better why I hunt. So what I needed to do was I was growing as a hunter, as we explained, I I was very late into hunting. I have two boys 
that I want them to grow up as hunters. And so I had to be able to explain to them why, why we were hunting. I had the management, I have the biology, I have all that. I've got a PhD and all that. But I needed to understand someone's heart, right? I needed to understand why people do this thing called hunting because I just didn't know why. I was searching for that reason. I couldn't find it on the Sportsman's Channel. I couldn't find it on the Outdoors Channel. And so I decided to build it. And so we built this, this cinematography-type project. And how it's evolved is very simple. Is that it went from me under, trying to understand my why to this bigger mission, which is, hey, non-hunting public, here is our why. Hey, there's certain truths about hunting that nobody seems to know about. And so our mission statement is super simple. Now, we aim to convey the truth about hunting. End of story. Nice. So through this progression and, and through the conversations and the interactions, have you have you solidified sort of the reason why you hunt and, and found more of yourself in those conversations? You know, it's been a long time since someone's asked me the question because I've had the privilege of asking 60 mm -hmm. people, 70 people that question, like, why do you hunt? And I forced them to answer that really hard question. It's a simple question, but it's a very complicated answer. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it, it changes, right? It changes your, why changes? Like just this weekend, I told you before we got on this weekend with my boys in the woods and whatnot, it's like, that's my why, like raising those boys in a, in a lifestyle that I was not privy to. Mm -hmm. Like if you wanted to solidify my why, and I can talk about all the other stuff, but if you wanted to, to like whittle down, what is the core of my why? The core of my why is that those boys are raised in the right way, experiencing the privilege that we have as Americans to this lifestyle that we, we cherish so much. And I think it, it bleeds over to, I've, I've, I've heard it a couple of times, maybe a dozen times. People say to me, they're like, Robbie, you, you know, you take, you take things way too seriously. Your project's way too serious. Why don't you have people smiling and stuff? And I think I could have a couple more people smiling on my platform. But I, it's not that because it's a, it's a serious topic to me. And it's mm -hmm. a serious thing that I did not have. It wasn't, I wasn't privy to it. It wasn't available to me. And so the perspective that I bring to this thing that I now have and that I don't want to lose because my boys are growing up in it is serious business. It's not play play. So that's that's essentially my why right now. I like it. I like it. I, I agree with you 100%. And I, I think back. So, um, Well, you couldn't really disagree with my why. So. No, 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 no. I, I agree with it from, <laughs> from my perspective. <laughs> Sorry, I, I like to have like some poking type questions back to people when... It's know. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think about it from from my standpoint, because I, I, I always like to not analyze, but put myself in, in, in your shoes for a moment. And if, if you asked me that question and like it, it does, and it, it has changed. My why has changed over time. 
You know, I started hunting when I was very young and, you know, people talk about the stages of hunting and all that other stuff. And like, as an adult looking back on it, I'm like, oh yeah, I was there at various points in my life. And depending on what my situation was, it was always that a lot of it was, was centered as a kid because it was new and it was a tradition. It was something I always did. And then, you know, as a teenager, I recognized the food aspect of it of, oh, it's about, it's about the food. And then it went into the phase of, oh, this is fun. It's adventurous. It's what my friends do. So it's part of our social construct. And then as an adult, it evolved into more of, this is about reconnecting with the way I was raised and how I wanted to convey that to my children. And then, you know, the, the issue of food security and, and providing great stuff. So it's kind of like keeps doing a little figure eight as it hits these points and throughout time. And even now I'm like where you are, I'm, I, I juggle the food aspect of it always. And I've I've got the idea of family there. Like now my daughter's involved, like we discussed. And Mm -hmm. so that's coming to the very forefront of my why of like, I'm now looking instead of like, Hey, there's opportunities where I can go out with my friends and we can do a backpacking trip and film and, you know, podcasts and all this other stuff to be like, I want to put in for those family tags and just take my daughter out and go hunt Turkey or go walk through the the woods and shoot squirrels. Like there's, there's some other stuff. Like I don't even care if I shoot anything. It's, it's, me getting her out there because she has expressed such an interest and I want to foster that. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So I'm with you. (laughs) Uh, Good stuff. Good stuff. As you evolved, how, how have you branched out? So starting in your hunting journey, sort of in Mississippi, uh, how have you branched out and and where have you hunted uh, since then? Yeah, I, um, you know, classic whitetail hunter, love whitetail hunting. Um, done a little, the, the turkey hunting has taken me into pretty much more places in America to hunt than anything else. Um, but then I started, my grandfather was a big buffalo hunter. He loved Cape buffalo hunting. And he hunted them with a 416 Rigby open sights. Oh, wow. And so I said, I want to do that. And I want to. And when I started digging in, I realized that there were a lot of buffalo species all around the world that you can hunt. And so I went to Argentina and I hunted the buffalo in Argentina, 416 Rigby, open sights. I killed him at 61 yards. Um, freezing cold was like South Africa when we went and did that. Then I went to Australia and I killed the buffalo up in the Northern Territory. Mm-hmm. And we went on a crazy four-day backpacking adventure up a river system that these guys had never even gone to. Like I said, I want to go explore your property where you've never been. They're like, oh, we really wanted to go up there. And I said, well, let's go. Let's just go for four days. We'll you know, sleep under the stars. We got pissed on by bats. We were catching freshwater crocodiles in the river. <laughs> we had buffalo coming into camp. We were swimming in the rivers to clean ourselves with the crocodiles. Um, and we killed a monster buffalo back in there, way back in there. Open sights, 416 Rigby. And uh, it's actually, we've got the film. The film's on our YouTube channel, and it's called Dreamtime. Um, 
and it was epic. And so, yeah, that's, so got to figure out the next Buffalo. I want, you know, Bison is on the list. Muskox is on the list. Love to do Muskox in Greenland. Oh yeah. Uh, Cape Buffalo, obviously in Africa. And you've got all the different Buffalo species in Africa. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I'd love to kill a stag in Scotland, like traditional stag hunting in Scotland with the ponies. I guess I'm more like a traditionalist. Like there's certain things that I want. It's not like I want as many species as I, I can get. But mm-hmm. I'm very particular about the adventure aspect of it and the animal. And I uh, I think the buffalo part is has such a draw to me, especially with the 416 rigby and it being open sites is that if I don't do my job, I've leveled, you know, the, the, the rhetoric that we typically get from the anti-hunters is that it's not fair, right? Mm-hmm. You guys aren't fair. You use these, you know, modern rifles and there's, you know, there's counters to all of that, right? That it's on their turf. They have much better eyesight. They have much better hearing. They have much better sense of smell. They have, everything's in their favor. Okay. Yep. And so for, from a Buffalo perspective, hunting for me, I just, you know, up it a little bit, which is what we all do. That's why people get into bow hunting and trad bow hunting and whatnot. And I said, you know, if I don't do my job and kill him, he has just as good a chance of killing me at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're, uh, yeah, not, not docile animals for sure. No. So just do your job and hell of an adventure. That's awesome. Um, I will. Uh, I'll link the the show notes. We'll, we'll throw a link for the the videos in there. But yeah, the video is phenomenal. Dreamtime is a is a phenomenal piece. I'm gonna have to catch up. I ha- I've watched uh, some of your stuff. I haven't watched that one yet, but it's gonna move to the top of the list, especially since we talked about it. So that's great. You talk about the best meal we've ever had. Buffalo backstrap in the middle of nowhere. The, one of the guys on the trip actually said. You know, we're probably three miles east of the middle of nowhere right now. That's how remote we were. <laughs> and we took that backstrap and we had actually towed it in like a frying pan. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ate those backstraps that night because we've been eating dehydrated meals essentially the entire time. And we ate those backstraps. That's all we ate. We just gorged ourselves on Ooh. backstrap. It was incredible. Oh, man. That's like... You just made the perfect segue because I was just about to uh, get into the food side. Um, man, I think about backstraps over a campfire. Campfire. We had, we took spices with us. Uh, I think we had a little bit of oil with us and we just fried it. Not fried it, but we just griddled it up. Mm-hmm. And we just mm-hmm. literally people just put their fork in. And, and we're sitting on the sand on the side of a riverbank, you know, buffaloes all around us just eating. That's awesome. What a great experience. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I was going to ask, uh, in the conversations you've had and sort of to your your own journey, how often does 
the connection with food come up? Um, it's, it's quite often, you know, a lot of people have a deep connection to the food aspect, knowing exactly where the food comes from. And I think the element of knowing where your food comes from, knowing where your meat comes from is a big part of why people are attracted to hunting and why Mm -hmm. we've seen a resurgence, especially since in 2020 from COVID and whatnot. But it's important for me, for my boys to know like something had to die for you to eat that meat. And so I make it a point every time we're eating something, what I've cooked that I've killed. And I'll say to them, Hey, Leo, which is my oldest. Hey, Leo, what are you eating? Oh, I'm eating deer. Okay, where'd the deer come from? Oh, you killed it, Daddy. I said, yeah, that's right. That's where our meat comes from. And so that's, you know, he's, they're very, it's very important for me to, to bury that into their brains that they know exactly what they're, hunt, what they're eating and where it came from. It, it establishes that connection. Um from the living thing to the to the plate, which I think a lot of people um, are, are missing, and mm-hmm. some choose they they don't want to. The way societies evolve, they sort of don't want to have that connection, which which I find um, interesting. You know, you can. Now I don't you know. Can, if, I don't know if it's they don't want the connection. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a little bit of the. You know, it's the it's it's not dirtying your hands anymore, right? Mm-hmm. People don't have to dirty their hands to get their meat anymore, their food anymore. Um, I think sometimes they just don't they just don't know. I yeah. think that people growing up in today's day and age, that disconnection is gone because of the the city living that we that we're very much used to. And it's generations gone. You know, it's uh, you know, that people didn't grow up in that environment, which. That's that's okay. It's it's everybody's choice. You're not you don't get to choose where you're born. Um so that's understandable. But uh I do appreciate the fact that there is a growing resurgence and and there has been. It's good to see as always prominent voices and you know in literature and media and stuff sort of supporting this concept of of getting out for your own food. Mm-hmm. I wonder I wonder though is as things sort of level out um, from COVID and sort of things progress and as the world continues to change as it does, if it's, if it's going to plateau or if there's going to build a movement, I guess it's, it's in the future to see. Yeah. It depends, right. If they, if they remember it, Mm -hmm. you know, our society forgets, you know, you have a hard time. You're like, Oh man, I'm going to change my ways. Happens all the time. And then once that hard part, is over, you just slowly migrate back to how yeah. it was. Every um, every January first, when people hit the gyms, and then <laughs> by January fifteenth, they're like, "Well, I did it, That's fifteen it. days." That's it. That's <laughs> it. But uh, no, I I hope not. I hope people stick with it. Um, the opportunity to do it here is is pretty great. So I, I would like to see the continuity. But um, do you have a favorite wild game recipe that you oh, go yeah. to? Yeah. What, what, wife, what is it? My wife makes a, a quail and pheasant pie. Ooh. And it's made with mushrooms and bacon and juniper berries. Juniper berries. And it is phenomenal. Like, it is legit 
it's better the second day. It's one of those like it's good when you eat it, but it's better the next day. Yeah, it's the 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 whole mushroom bacon, red wine, juniper berry, uh, with pheasant and quail. It's just out of this world. Telling so you how now. how are the the quail and the pheasant? Is it the the meat off the bone? Is it divided up? Correct, Correct. diced up, cubed up. Ooh. Um, yeah, it's really good. Good mixture of light meat and dark meat in there. Oh yeah, yep. that sounds phenomenal. Got to do it. So when you eat it the second day, do you reheat it or do you eat it like Heck room yeah. temp? No, no, you reheat it, but it's it makes the flavors are just it's just one of those dishes. You have those dishes. I have a my my most favorite dish in the whole wide world is a thing called feijoada. It's a Brazilian black bean dish, mm-hmm. and feijoada gets better every day you leave it in the fridge. Oh yeah, they sit the flavors combine really well. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's good stuff. I love Brazilian food too. <laughs> I, uh, I I love a lot of food. It's hard to turn down a meal. <laughs> um, so going back to some of your stories and and your your projects. So you've uh, you've definitely talked with some notable individuals uh, in the world of hunting. Um, how is it one? How is it sort of interacting? And and do you see you see a difference in their stories versus versus others who may not be as well known? Um, you know, one, it's humbling, right? To be able to have spoken to a Jim Shockey and a Will Primos and a Cud Strickland. Um, yeah, we're definitely grateful for their voices. Mm-hmm. Um, I, honestly, it's actually more difficult to get the stories out of those individuals than no namers because these guys are used to being on camera. And so they've got this facade that they put on when the cameras turn on. And you have to break that down through your interview style and you have to sort of break through that crust that they've, they've built for 20 years, 30 years in front of camera. And I think what you'll find is when you watch Jim Shockey's or Will Primos's or Cuz, you get a story that you've never really heard from those individuals from us. Um, but I would argue that probably our best stories, the best episodes we've laid down are the people that you have no idea who they are. Um, because they're just genuine. They're genuine, authentic individuals that are doing it. Not that Jim, Will, or Cuz have done, would, were doing it for any fame. It was just that these guys are just like you and me. You know, this, we're not Jim Shockey. We're not Will Primos. We're just the guy down the street. And so the people we interview are the people down the street. And that's part of our hunting community. Their heart, their reason for why they hunt their authentic love for this lifestyle that we love so much is just as powerful, if not more powerful than the famous people. So that's why we love it. I love the no-namers. I love the people's stories that come out of nowhere. We're actually going to come down to Florida in March, the beginning of March, to film a girl hunt for the first time. And she technically is a no-namer. Um, She's got a couple of people in the community that I can see the connections. Mm-hmm. But if I said her name, Mandy Thomas, nobody knows her. But she is a badass. And That's awesome. She's, she can fling a bow about 100 yards right now. And Holy she's smokes. ready. She's ready for her first hunt. She's going to bow hunt the first time she hunts. What, uh, what's, what's the target species? I think we're just going to try for a pig. Yep. That's um, good. 
but there's a couple of on this property that we've gotten connected with. They've got a couple of, uh, it's an exotic place. So we've got a couple of elk hinds that can be taken or, or axis does that can be taken. It just depends. Uh, so there's going to be a rich uh, a board of, of things to be able to be hunted for her, which is good. Um, the story would be great if she didn't take anything, but the story is richer, obviously, if she does take something mm-hmm. and experience that thing that is taking that life. Yeah, the the emotion and, and all of that that comes with it. Exactly. Um. So how how do you choose your projects? How do you say this is this is the individual I want to work with, or this is the person that I see a good story in? Yeah, it's a good question. In the beginning, it was whoever said yes, <laughs> whoever said yes to this crazy idea. But now um, we really have to find anyone anymore. Um, so the way that the the actual we have these guys, what we call originators, which is the original point of someone that we interact with. So Mandy will be originator. She'll be a person that nobody brought to our attention. We just found her, whether it was mm-hmm. just come across her, talk to someone about, hey, I'm looking for this person, this kind of person. They're like, oh, have you thought about this? You know, And we just reach out, cold call, and, 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 and see if they're interested in. Now what happens is, we, we, you know, Blood Origins is all about family, especially like my family or your family. You know, we're passing on this gene of, of this, this love of this lifestyle to our boys, to your daughter, hopefully to your grandkids one day, right? So there's this mm-hmm. family tree. Well, we've built the same thing in Blood Origins. And so when we film someone, their job is to then find us the next one. Oh, cool. And so I don't need to, because then I don't want to be ever caught in a situation where we film someone's episode and someone calls us out to say, hey, you didn't know that this person was a poacher or this person did X or Y. And that's going to tank, you know, it won't tank the organization. It will, it will put a bad, you know, mark on us because we didn't do the vetting properly. So these individuals that, that select the next person do the vetting for us because they know what it means to us. They know what it means to them to be a part Mm -hmm. of the organization and the project. And so that's how it works. It's just now it's a, you, I want you tell me, is it, it could be someone famous. It could be someone not famous. It could be old, young, male, female, if different ethnicities, different races, different genders, doesn't matter to me. You Hmm. tell me who's next. And so we, we do that with our episodes, and then we also do that with our little um, – if you've seen on our Instagram, we do these – one of the things we've, I was very interested in is how do we expand our voice, right? I can't be everywhere at once. And so – but we all have cell phones, and so we started this This Is My Why series, which is someone who's interested in giving us their why. So whoever's listening to this, if you're interested in giving us your why – reach out to us and say, I'm interested. Okay, cool. I'll give you a little set of blueprints of what we want you to do and how I want you to record and send it to us. And we'll stick you in the lineup. doesn't matter who you are. We'll stick you in the lineup. And then we do the same thing with you. Then once we release your video, like today, we released a guy called Derek DePew. 
out of Indiana. It's a hectic one. It's five minutes long. I don't know how many people are going to watch the entire thing, but he talks about being in the in the line of duty. He's a cop. Mm-hmm. And hunting to him is this way of getting away, of escaping this life that he has to leave every day. And so I'll ask Derek. I'll say, Derek, you're now part of this family. You tell me, give me a hunter. Find me a hunter. And I also say, find me a non-hunter. And I want both of them to give me videos. And so it just spider webs from there, just tentacles out from there. How do, how do people react when you ask them to do that? Uh, most, I would say 99% of the time, they say, hell yeah. Um, I have very rarely, I've probably less than, less than half a dozen times. I've actually, how many people, maybe one or two have actually said no to me. Um, it's very rare someone says no to me. Um, I don't know. We just maybe it's the way that I couch it, the way that I ask them. Um, I've got a lot of people who have said yes, and I'm still waiting like nine months later for the video. Um, <laughs> Sometimes it happens. <laughs> but I will say, as people get to know me, I'm the most persistently patient individual you will ever meet. I like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to go dig deeper now i'm like you, you're gonna put me down a rabbit hole i'm gonna be your biggest fan you need sure. to do it dude you need to do it it you can you can binge watch you'll get lost you'll get lost on all of those this is my wise are on youtube so we've got 50 this is my wise on youtube from finland to spain to australia to new zealand to all over the u.s wow that's cool I like the international piece as I was looking through videos and, and stories and stuff. I, I appreciate that because a lot, you know, it's it's easy to, there's so much in the U.S. It's very easy to get micro-focused on what's happening here, but there's uh, such a diversity of, of hunting culture outside of the United States. And I appreciate the fact that you expand on that. Yeah, we've we've been lucky. The our our fingerprint is is very global. Like it's amazing. I think we have daily probably twenty countries interacting with us. Um, cool. Yeah, so it, it's it's again it's humbling that there's people all around the world interacting with us. Like we, I'll wake up every morning and the first two hours of my day is pretty much talking to Zambia or Pakistan or the UK or anything like that because they're already way into their day, right? Mm-hmm. And my my phone has got reams of messages from them waking up and and doing things. So, what's your uh, what's your favorite international story that people have have conveyed? Um, you know, we went to Denmark three years ago, and there were some incredible stories that came out of Denmark. Some real like blue collar, you know, hit you in the heart. Like, this is why I do it in the back country of Denmark because, you know, again, like I feed my family or I protect mm-hmm. my, my, my crops or I protect my, my sheep. Um, yeah. And then in Denmark, the other thing that was super cool is we got to forge a knife in like a Viking forge. Oh, wow. And so we forged knives on the Thursday and then we killed the roe deer on Sunday and used that knife to skin that deer. Oh wow! Yeah. What uh, what what kind of knife is it? 
just a little classic Viking blade, man. It was a, it was a, it was a brick of, not a brick, but it was like a little rectangular piece of steel that was probably half an inch thick that became a knife that was like, you know, six inches. That's insane. I, I get fascinated by knife forging. I think it's such a cool. Oh yeah. A cool and it's process. freaking brutal, man. You've got to be strong. Your arms have got to be so strong. And wear you out. Oh, it'll wear you out. <laughs> man. And then you go hunt the next day. <laughs> yeah. You can't lift your arm. <laughs> <laughs> then you weren't bow hunting. Exactly. I was using a shotgun. Hey, got the job done. Yep. Um. So, I see Blood Origins is involved in uh quite a few conservation projects, um, both locally and, and globally. Can you expound a little upon that? Yeah, we just wanted we wanted to do a model whereby you knew exactly where your money went. So mm-hmm. it wasn't just like your funding and you just don't know where things went. We're going to find really cool, direct, implementable projects all around the world. And we're going to then fund them and execute them and storytell the heck out of them. And so we've you know, funded a couple of projects. The TAR project in New Zealand was the first one. We built a documentary where we sent four non-hunters via helicopter into the backcountry to see TAR for the first time and took a hunter to guide them. Uh, that's called A Difficult Treasure. That's another film. You should watch that right after Dreamtime. Oh, man, I'm going to have a late night. <laughs> and then um, we filmed the – well, we just funded the Rhino Project, which is feeding rhinos for the next five to six months. Uh, they did just get a tropical cyclone come through there, and they are dumping rain right now, which is a godsend. Um, so we've got that project funded. We've got a, a, a primary school venison project funded in South Africa. We built a soccer field in South Africa, and uh, we filmed the entire thing. We're building out that film right now of how hunters and hunting went into this rural community and built a soccer field for the kids um, and put on a whole sports day for them. And built, And we, I got a guy out of the UK who designed the bibs, you know, the zebras and the, versus the giraffes. Um, oh, cool. And then in the in obviously in America we funded Raise Them Outdoors, which is the shirt I'm wearing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually will. We'll, uh, I'm having uh, Aaron Crooks on the podcast here, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday. So oh, we'll, fantastic! We'll be talking with Aaron. Yeah, you need to tell her that we are obviously her biggest fans, and uh, she's a badass. She was also on Blood Origin, so you should watch her episode before talking to Aaron next week. Oh, I'll do that. And it's hard. It's like it'll hit you in the gut. Oh, man. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> Adding to my growing list. There we go. <laughs> Which is good. So, man, we, we've hit a lot of good. Uh, yeah. We a lot. This is good. Time flies I mean, when you're having fun. Exactly. Um, I do want to mention a couple uh, recipes, sort of to shift gears. I always like to, at the end, we talk a little bit about uh, some of the recipes that we have up on Harvesting Nature because, you know, this in, at the end, this is a, a wild fishing game podcast. Yeah. So got to make people hungry before they close out the episode. Um, so one that, that we posted recently is uh, ant, antelope bulgogi which is a a great take on a a korean dish and one of our field staff riders so 
for those that don't know, we have a, a growing group, a constant growing, waxing and waning group of field staff writers from all around North America that, that contribute stories and uh, recipes. Uh, we've recently got in some news articles and stuff. So kind of taking you all around the U.S. through food and adventure. And even, I, I won't say U.S., shame on me for that. North America is, can't forget of our, our good friends up north in Canada that are involved too. But uh, our ant, antelope bulgogi recipe, so this was Jeff. And uh, Jeff is a big antelope hunter like myself. And he just cranks out some really delicious food. But if you've never had bulgogi, so the word bulgogi is Korean for fire meat. But uh, I think Jeff did a really good way of balancing out the recipe here so it's not super, super hot. It, it just looks great. Go check that out. As always, like I said, show notes will be in here. That does look good. So good. Jeff does a great job photographing him. Ooh, that's a mouthful. It, it, it just looks great all around. It's one of those like comfort foods, I think. Mm-hmm. And the kimchi, too. I don't know how many people really get behind kimchi. My mm-hmm. wife's a huge a huge fan of it, and we used to make it here. Negative. Uh, and it's just like, oh, man, so good. No, forget that. No? Mm-mm. I spent two weeks in Korea testing uh-huh. for my black belt in Hapkido. Oh, nice. And uh, the first day I walked, there was a little restaurant. This is way off topic. There was a little restaurant next to the the dojan that we were that I would train in pretty much like ten day ten hours a day, and we'd go over for lunch. And the first day they brought out all this food, and literally there was like one thing I could eat because it was just like fermented everything. And I was like, no, 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 this isn't going to work for me. <laughs> and so then the next day, what happened was I walked in and I stopped, and the little lady that was cooking looked at me, and I looked around the restaurant. And I looked at, I found something that I recognized and I went and I pointed and I said, that, that. And she was like, okay, thumbs up. And it was like this huge rice dish that was covered in a huge omelet doused in ketchup. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. uh, Wow. Yeah, that's that's, uh, something different for sure. Looking at our next one, let me send this one to you. So this one is a pan-roasted halibut over wild mushroom risotto. So our uh, our managing editor, Ben, put this together. And it's not – so the halibut is not wild. Well, it's wild. Halibut's wild. But it's not uh, – he didn't catch it. But the, the focus of the meal is the wild mushroom risotto which he went out and collected himself. So he lives up in Oregon, which as many people know is is a great place in the world to collect mushrooms. I myself have not ventured too far into the realm of, of gathering mushrooms. I'll say that. But the dish here, it's another one of those like just feel good. Chanterelles, oysters, and, and morals. It just looks great. Getting dirty before... Washing hands and making dinner. But it looks good. Yeah, I'll stick with the antelope. Yeah, stick sticking with the bagolgi. Mm-hmm. So you do you like do you like spice? Do you like heat? Mm, not so much. 
No, I'm not a big fan of handstands in the shower the next day. <laughs> Let's see. We'll do. We'll do one more. What a good old camp hash. Everybody likes camp hash. Make uh, either some of those fresh back straps, like Robbie was talking about, or uh, um, I like to do it with heart too. Is one of those like post hunt meals because potatoes are pretty durable. They're easy to carry. And uh, this is actually Tori Loomis. Oh, uh, yeah. Tori did that one. Tori did this one. You know that Tori's going to come up in Blood Origins, right? We I, filmed I, it already. I do. I do. That's one of the reasons I picked it. Um, so, yeah. So, Tori's a contributor here at Harvesting Nature. She's uh, also a very skilled uh, skilled cook, chef, I should say. Give credit where credit is due. Yep, exactly. But no, she made this camp hash, which is pretty phenomenal. She did pretty much over open coals and a little cast iron, uh, almost like a baking dish. You could do it really any cast iron, but it's uh, it, it's got all the great things I love in life. Venison backstrap, duck breast, venison sausage, potatoes. She's going all out using the rendered fat from the duck breast too, is the oil. And... um. Man, tons of spices. Sorry, Robbie. It's got jalapenos and hot sauce in there. So, <laughs> well, I think you could be optional with those. Okay. Okay. But at the end of the day, I think it's a great start to the day. Yeah. When we filmed her episode, she cooked for us. Um, that was amazing. Can you, is it a spoiler if you tell us what she cooked? Uh, she cooked some backstrap dish. It wasn't, you know, it's just what she had left, you know, laying mm-hmm. around. It was just, it was good. Nice. Well, we're excited to see that one come out. Um, she's actually sort of looking on, on her social media and stuff. When we talked uh, before she joined our the team, she she introduced me to, to Blood Origins. And, and it kind of led down awesome. the, path, the path that we are here today. Good, so, good, good. She's a good girl. Um, yeah, she does great work. Um, I'm I'm happy to see her grow as she wants to in in the in the wild game cooking world. So awesome! So outside the uh, the pheasant and quail pie, any other any other go to wild game dishes for you? Oh, uh, good old backstrap on you know on the Traeger kind of deal and smoker. Um, easy, simple. You know, kids love it. Mom loves it. Can't go wrong. It's hard to beat. Hard you know? to beat. Exactly. Um, I've started, you know, the other thing that I, I did quite enjoy getting into and just you have to find it is um, I killed a couple of wild pigs in Texas mm-hmm. and I made pork cutlets. And I'm telling you what, those pork cut not not pork cutlets, um, Pork chops. Pork, pork chops. chops. Yeah, yeah. So and, you're using uh, like the loin, the bone-in loin. Yeah, bone-in yep. bone loin. And I'm telling you what, as Leo said, it was like a graveyard of ribs, you know, <laughs> of, of the, the pork chop bones because they were better than anything I could have bought in the store. Yep. Oh, 100%. my gosh. I, uh, yeah. Especially with a fat cap. You know, those Texas hogs are eating corn all the time. They've got a huge fat cap on them. Um, beautiful. I uh, 
I, I don't I don't get it. A lot of people who are very mm, dissuasive towards wild pig. Uh, some people just completely turned off by them, and I mean, it, it is what it is. But I think they're missing out. I, it's some of my some of my favorite meat. We get a lot of them uh, in Florida, obviously. And um, man, they they do. They have some great flavors too. And this environment here creates so much different flavors compared to like Texas wild hogs, or you know, growing up just a little north in Oklahoma, or even in California, the wild pigs there that eat acorn all the time. The flavor profiles are so much different, and because pork is a a lighter meat, I think the the wild contrast of the environments are able to sneak through the meat a little more, which mm-hmm. is cool. But spot on flavor compared to domestic pork is like tenfold. Yep, 100%. So um, what is the best way for people to connect with you? Just find us on Blood Origins. Anywhere you want on social media, Google, YouTube, Blood Origins. So we are launching a brand new supporters program starting early February. And it's a way for people to support us by the co- donating the cost of a cup of coffee a month, three bucks a month. And because of that, obviously, you'll be pushing the mission of Blood Origins. But for us to thank you for giving $3 a month, we have a ton of brands that love Blood Origins, that get behind Blood Origins, that support Blood Origins. And we're going to pass along those free stuff from those brands to people who give us three bucks a month. And so you could be eligible for seasonings, for custom knives, for custom bow uh, arrows and broadheads, uh, and then hunts, hunts all over the world. You could win a tar hunt in New Zealand, a red stag hunt in Argentina, a chamois hunt in Spain. Uh, the first hunt in February is actually for three people pig hunting in Oklahoma. Nice. Um, and that's for three bucks a month. You're going to be eligible in the pool all the time. As long as you give three bucks a month, you're constantly in the, in the pool to be drawn for all these different things happening and discount codes that only the supporters will get, you know, exclusive stuff like that. Sweet. That's a, that's a great program. I like it. So, well, Outside of that, so we, we sort of, before we sign off here, we give everyone the opportunity for like a last thought, a last note to leave myself and the listeners with. So what, what would be your last thought to us, if any? Yeah, the last thought, like I sign off most things and we sign off our podcast with it to say, do what's right uh, in conveying the truth about hunting. So all I want you to do is think. Next time you post about hunting, next time you talk about hunting, Stop and think. Is what I'm doing helping or hurting hunting for the potential for your future generations to be able to participate in this thing that we love so much? Boom. Sweet. Well, Robbie, thanks for coming on tonight. You're welcome. uh, It's been an absolute blast. Thank you. It's some good conversation. I like it. It it definitely... I, I like conversation that drives thought and just mm-hmm. uh sort of looking back inside my own myself what's going on in my head so exactly we we did that i hope everyone enjoyed it i i echo what robbie said be a good steward of of our sport we are the only people who are going to 
positively. I'll stop, I'll, I'll stop what you just said. It's not a sport. Oh. oh, there we go. Not a sport. Why? Why do you say it's not a sport? I'm curious. Because it's much bigger than that. It's much more important than that. Sports about winning and losing. Like sports it. about two teams going at it. There's no. There's no. We're not battling anyone. This is more of a lifestyle. It's more of a thing that's a part of our DNA. It's it's in our blood. So would you say we're not battling ourselves? We're not battling the elements? Not. But that's not a sport. Uh, in a way, you can have individual sports. Yeah, but you're 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 chasing something. You're chasing a score. You're chasing. You know, you're chasing the the peak. What are you chasing in 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 hunting that makes it a sport? The experience, the dream, the adventure, the food, the tradition, continuity. No, but that's all lifestyle. It's not a sport. I can see it. I can see it from both sides, for sure. So, that's fair. Well, let me say this. If a non-hunter asked you, why is hunting a sport? They're coming at it because they think you like to kill things. That's true. I can see that. Because it's a sport to kill things. Makes you think. It definitely does. It does. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. All right. Well, I will say for everybody that's listening, show notes are always available online. Whatever podcast platform you're listening to, hit that five-star button. Tell us what we're doing wrong or tell us what we're doing right. Thanks and have a good night. that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv